0: Working with candidates, building up that pipeline, having a top 10 list, meeting the objections that are out there, ensuring that your value proposition is ingrained in the candidates that you're talking to. You've got to make it a daily activity, and it becomes part of your DNA.
1: Now more than ever, and especially in today's market, culture is such a leading driver of what gets advisors excited about considering
0: a move. We can't compromise on anybody that we bring on board. A bad hire can hurt you more than making no hire, so don't make that mistake.
1: It's a miss uh, in a lot of cases if you don't have someone within your organization that's really specialized in that insurance business, especially banks that do a lot of commercial business. We are starting to uh, go after more insurance-based advisors now for the bank space than we ever
0: have. And the beauty of this individual, who's a financial advisor for an insurance program, is that they have the right sales process. They use a needs analysis type of approach, or we all strive to become better financial planners. So it's an ideal candidate to recruit to.
1: It's so exciting to actually be hearing that word of succession planning in our space.
2: Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message.
3: This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you.
4: Hello, and welcome to BISA, Industry Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis. I'll be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself shortly. So this month, we will discuss current advisor recruiting challenges, how to overcome them, the related financial institution value proposition, home talent, and succession planning. But before we get into that discussion, I'll pass the mic to my partner, Bob Mattel, so he can introduce himself and our panelists. Bob? Well, thanks,
5: Scott. And hello, everyone. I am Bob Mattel, and let me welcome you to this, the June. It's summertime edition. And as Scott said, we have another great panel with us today. But before we meet them, let me remind you to visit bisanet.org for all things B I S A. And remember, if you spell it, you can never mispronounce it. It's B I S A. Okay, so let's meet today's panel and start with Jim
0: Fujinata. Hello, everybody. It's Jim Fujinaga. I'm with Hancock Whitney Financial Consultants. We're in the five Gulf Coast states: Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. Have about 48 advisors and still growing. About 90, a little bit over 90 uh, licensed bankers. We're $6 billion in uh, assets uh, assets under management. Uh, Our revenue is around $33 million and growing. And uh, we're looking forward to continuing to grow our business as as we go into the future.
5: Absolutely excellent. Thank you for joining us today. And let's meet Ian Balfour from Ameriprise, which also is our sponsoring company for this series of podcasts. Ian. Thank you.
1: Thanks everybody for the uh, the time this afternoon. My name is Ian Balfour. I am the uh, National Director of Recruiting for Ameriprise on the financial institution side. Uh, so basically what I do, I work with our, our partner banks and credit unions to, to grow their existing programs via advisors. I also do a lot of consulting on when we're bringing in on new banks and credit unions on advisor retention. Been uh, been at Ameriprise for almost five years when we started the, uh, the, the financial institution side. So Uh, Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
5: And thanks again for both of you to join us this, uh, this day for this beautiful podcast on this very big thunderstorm day, no matter where you are in the country, thunderstorms are around. So sit back, relax, get a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or a cold beer, or if you're driving, none of that, sit back and listen to this exciting conversation about recruiting new advisors.
4: You Would think this is a Friday edition, the way the Bob's the way that Bob's introducing all this. <laughs> and it's yes, Monday. I have
5: my I have my yeti full of
4: <laughs> water. Uh-huh. Well, or some clear liquid. <laughs> all right. I like the way this week is kicking off. Uh thanks, Bob. Let's dive in. Let me ask the first question. And Jim, maybe you can kick us off. But Ian, we'd like to hear your thoughts on this question as well. So the question is about the increasing difficulty of recruiting advisors in, in, in this market, right? So there's been a lot of discussion about that. It's certainly not getting easier to recruit good advisors. Are you also experiencing that? If so, what are you doing about it? And one way or the other, I'm assuming you're still seeing some successes. So how do those successes come about? So kind of a multi-pronged question, but Jim, maybe you can kick us off with your thoughts and then Ian, will pass it to you.
0: Yes, you're absolutely correct. It's been a war for talent for quite a while now. Everyone's looking for quality advisors. It's extremely competitive. And we are seeing some success in certain markets and other markets are challenging to hire too. It is a tough market. Having said that, we're really focused on recruiting and growing our staffing. You have to be. The whole industry has done very well in terms of productivity growth. Every firm that I know of has grown their business, but hasn't grown their staffing and their advisor group. So we need to focus on that. If we're going to get to double digits every single year, we need to have more people. And we realize it's a marathon. Uh, we have a lot of uh, weekly, daily activities, uh, we're constantly discussing recruiting. We have weekly recruiting calls to review pipeline, review next steps, discuss offers, us, all the areas that we need to focus on to continue to help each other recruit to the next level. In terms of recruiting support, uh, we have a we have internal support. We have internal uh, Hancock Whitney uh, recruiters that assist. By the way, it is primarily the sales manager's responsibility. They have to recruit. But we have internal, we have a contingent recruiter. We also work with our uh, broker dealer Satera, who provides support as well. So again, we're seeing some good success in certain markets, and others it's very challenging.
4: You recruit for a lot of organizations. I'm assuming you're uh, you're also experiencing challenges. Give us your thoughts from from an overall perspective, uh, and also kind of a side question. But and you can both weigh in on this. Are you seeing any Or a trend towards compromises in hiring. When you would normally hire a higher end advisor, are there now compromises being made? And you know, with the attitude that yeah, we'll get this person up to speed, but it'll take a little more time. You know, that type of thing. So, I know I'm throwing a bunch at you, Ian, but why don't you take a swing at that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would agree with Jim. It's it's certainly a. uh... A different time now in, in uh, recruiting advisors for our bank partners, uh, you know, you always see a little bit of a, a change up in, in meeting cadence and, and calls during the, the summer season with with graduations and vacations happening. But I don't think that's really the, the key driver in, in, in what's going on. You know, banks in, in, uh, have been in the, the news quite a bit lately, part of a catalyst to to slow some of the uh, recruiting activities down or some of the conversations down. So, yeah, I would agree with you. Definitely seeing a, um, let's call it a distraction or a little bit of an interruption in, in uh, the number of advisors we talk about. Uh, on the flip side, it, it's kind of given us a good opportunity to to reframe our our value proposition and really what we discuss with our financial advisors when we're talking about opportunities with them. I think now more than ever, and especially in today's market, culture is, is such a leading driver of what gets advisors excited about considering a move. Not to say that the, the deposits and referrals aren't certainly important; that's definitely a factor. But now more than ever, usually the top one or two um, hot buttons for advisors is culture and feeling like they're they're actually part of a program that's uh, you know invested in that advisor and, and really treats them. Like a uh, you know a valuable part of of the firm, so that's where we've been really focusing, um, Scott, and just really making sure we're giving the advisor a really good understanding of what the value proposition looks like, and, and culture is usually a leading driver in those conversations.
4: Which leads into our next question, but let's let's hold off on the next question for a second, because Jim, I know you have a thought, um, and the the other thing that Jim, maybe you'll answer for us once you give us your thought, is kind of interesting. You mentioned your sales managers are responsible for recruiting, right? And I don't remember how many that you have, but the question is, do you see more success in, you know, with certain sales managers than others? And if so, what's the difference? What causes the increased success in one instance versus the other?
0: So uh, first, I'll uh, answer the question uh, regarding the type of Of recruits that you're bringing on board we can't compromise on anybody that we bring on board we have different roles that we have established you know afa afr fa so on based on the experience level having said that you cannot compromise because one of the biggest issues that we have seen in our business is the failure of a new advisor in other words they may do well for a little while but they're gone within a year or two you know it's a bad hire a bad hire can take up to three years to make up for that type of candidate. And we have to be very, very careful on who we bring on board. You have to make sure that they hit the right qualities, not only their experience level or their or their numbers or performance and so on down the line, but the work ethic as well as their, their ability to be uh, empathetic with the clients that they're meeting with a different area that we're looking at now versus previously when we focus so much on trailing 12. So a bad hire could hurt you more than making no hire. So don't make that mistake. Number two, regarding sales managers, uh, we've got some really good sales managers. And and the reason I say it's a sales manager's responsibilities, I remember when I was a sales manager and we're no longer, you know, seeing clients every single day to meet with. So you replace that with candidates, you build your pipeline, that's how you get your highs and your lows by bringing on a good quality advisor to your team. And that's how you build your business. That's how you build your growth. So the mentality that our sales managers really need to take is what they used to have when they were advisors, successful advisors in this business model, working with candidates, building up that pipeline, having a top 10 list meeting the objections that are out there, ensuring that your value proposition is is ingrained in the candidates that you're talking to. You know, you got to make it a daily activity and it becomes part of your DNA.
4: What I say is ABR, always be recruiting, right? (laughs) Ian, any additional thoughts there before I pass it back to Bob?
0: No, I I agree. Um,
1: We certainly don't compromise, and and that certainly uh, extends that process, that recruiting process, but uh, I agree 100%. I'd I'd rather wait another month or two to get the right guy than be recruiting for that same position again in in a year or so because uh, not having the right hire, so I agree with you.
4: Yeah. You don't want to have to undo mistakes because like uh, like Jim said, yeah. sometimes it takes you three years to undo a mistake you made in a month, right? Absolutely. Go ahead, Jim.
0: No, I just want to add to that. The reason why I say three years is that it takes a year really to find out whether you've made a good hire. Then it takes another six months or so to manage the person to the appropriate uh, position. And then it makes, takes another six months to find another good candidate because you're going to go through a lot of people. Then it takes another year, right? So it's you can't afford that type of mistake higher right
4: I mean there's even more to it than that, right? There are a lot of times you have to document the reason for letting somebody go and that takes a while to to gather all the information and make sure that you're doing it the right way so you don't get, you know, the any legal suits or I mean it just it's a mess if you make the wrong hire. So I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Well, Ian, you you said something about uh, the value proposition of a financial institution and how important that is, which I think cues Bob up very well for the next question. So Bob, take it away.
5: Absolutely. And it always brings to mind the uh, the quote about Willie Horton. you know, why do you rob banks? Banks is where the money is. So mm-hmm. you would think that that would make the whole recruiting process a lot easier because we're in the financial institution industry. That's where people have their money. We also promote a consistent flow of referrals. And it's a unique and highly compelling selling point for joining a wealth management program focused in a bank. So as the recruiting environment gets more difficult, it seems that being able to sell the benefits of working inside a bank is getting more critical. Do you think that those doing the recruiting are proficient enough at explaining those benefits? What's the standard value proposition, Ian, that that you guys are using at Ameriprise to really drive that point home that, you know, Willie Horton's right, the money's here, you know, you sit there, the referrals will come to you. It's obviously not as easy as we're saying, but it's got to be easier than going to, the Equitables training program being handed a phone book.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think the, uh, you know, the referrals, uh, the access to partners to get those referrals are are key. I think that's always going to be the the fundamental part of a value proposition when you're looking at uh, articulating that to, uh, to a bank, what we've done. and, And I think, again, it goes back to, you know, the market that we're in with all of our bank programs, we actually do on a, on a typically on a six to 12 month cadence, recreate that value proposition because i think it's, it's it changes right uh, what's important to an advisor now may not have been, have been important to them you know as little as 12 24 months ago so we're constantly meeting with our bank partners refining that value proposition making sure they understand as a banker what's going on in the financial uh, world that they may not may not have access to it, it's table stakes to you and i to understand some of these things but a lot of bankers that don't do this for on, on a full-time basis aren't as in tune with, with what's going on in the market. So uh, we really do a a, a, um, a thorough process when we're opening up a position, for instance, not just understanding the, the bank story, but understanding what what the advisor can expect out of the bank. Uh, that's another, um, another lesson that we're going through and consulting with, with some of our bank partners now is Uh, you know that first conversation with an advisor shouldn't come off as an interview right that advisor typically the advisors that we're all recruiting here are successful advisors Uh, they bring a lot to the table and so we've you know, in building that value proposition for our bank partners, we've really coached them on understanding the difference between an interview with a financial advisor compared to maybe another banker, and really making sure that they're they're articulating what that value proposition is, how they can be invested, and I'll go back to that culture world again because it's so important. Uh, so we're really building that in. So that's been helped us be very successful, uh, and we're going to continue to to refine those those value propositions. And I wish it was one size fits all uh you know covering the the whole nation what's important to someone in new york is certainly not uh important in uh, topeka kansas uh but uh it's something we're really passionate about because if we're representing one of our bank and credit union partners whether it be myself someone on my team or a search firm we want to make sure that they're telling the best story and and so we're willing to spend the extra time just to make sure that they understand what that story
5: is yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is definitely a unique position working in a bank. But Let me go back to what what I was also saying about equitable. Some of us were at a, um, the BISA Board and Leadership Advisory Board meeting last week. Jim and I were there, and during that conversation, there was a stat that was thrown out. There's 500,000 independent insurance agencies employed. And we always say insurance is one of the hardest things to sell. Is that an opportunity? and to go out there and find hey they're already selling insurance teach them how to sell investments it's got to be easier than selling insurance out of a phone book to add investments selling in a bank is that a thing
1: absolutely i think that's where uh, a lot of banks uh, have a large appetite now for someone with that insurance background i think it's a it's a miss uh, in a lot of cases if you don't have someone within your organization that's really specialized In that insurance business especially banks that do a lot of commercial business uh you know that's a huge opportunity for them as well so we do we do and we are starting to uh go after more insurance uh, based advisors now for the bank space than
5: we ever have so jim you know obviously we're talking a lot about the recruitment of, of um financial advisors in this bank environment that we're we think is so easy and it's a great place to work and it's a nine to three job and yada 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 when, you know what what are you seeing at Hancock Whitney in terms of you know selling the bank as the value proposition for attracting you know new agents
0: totally agree with uh, what was said earlier and i can also say to your point on insurance agencies and agents and representatives of, that are out there it's an untapped marketplace and the beauty of this individual who's a financial advisor for an insurance program is that they have the right sales process They use a needs analysis type of approach. And we're all becoming, or we all strive to become better financial planners and financial advisors. So it's an ideal client, uh, candidate to recruit to. So we're looking at that. Uh, We have one new hire in the process, hopefully soon, that comes from that type of background. So we're going to continue to focus on that as well as all the other markets that are out there. Uh, Regarding the bank culture, I'll tell you, whether it's today or or many, many years ago when you and I, Bob, worked at uh, the bank as financial advisors, I'll tell you, it hasn't changed too much in a sense that that's why we work at a bank. We have access to clients. To your point earlier, the money is there. I'll never forget it when I first joined a bank program. And I was taught to go against banks at that point in my life. And when I first joined a bank, And, um, and sat in the uh, lobby in a desk, and all I had to do was be nice to my tellers be nice to my bankers, and uh, build that trust what we call no like and trust, right, you got to have that. And you build that it's amazing. If you treat them with respect, how they include you in their business, how they include you in their process, how they refer you business so you're not at home or not at home, but you're not in your office cold calling all day long for clients, you are getting people and it's the most amazing thing, right? No like, and trust. And that's all you have to do. You have to build that with your branch staff. So you got to always make sure that you do that. But the culture behind that is incredible. Hancock Whitney, one of the reasons I came on board with Hancock Whitney close to seven years ago is the culture that we have. We're a bank in the South. I work with a lot of different banks in my career. And I found that, hey, this is a really good environment. And we talk about honor. We talk about integrity. We talk about teamwork. We, we, never, we never forget that it's all about growing the business and making sure that financial performance is hit. But we also realize that the people come first. We have people here with long-term tenure. We have one person that's been here for 43 years. It's amazing. And we have it's just not one person. It's several people. But you get the idea that people like working here. And in, recent, in a recent conversation I had with a candidate who's a million-dollar-plus producer, and they're looking for a place where they could build their business with a team. They want a team approach. They want that type of culture. And so that attracts them. A lot of firms are going to throw money at these big producers. We're not going to always compete in that market where they're going to throw tons of money up front. That's not going to happen. You have to take a look at what makes you unique. And in many cases, in a bank program, it's not just the referrals; it's the fact that we build and allow for you to build your business the right way in a in a uh, in a balanced approach to your business and to your life.
5: And, and that makes a lot of sense too, because the independent space is much more commission focused.
0: Although a lot of
5: organizations, a lot of banks out there are buying business, and I think that's kind of dying as there's so many other opportunities around there. But I absolutely agree that a culture, of people first way of looking at it is uh, is very helpful. Are you seeing also that the younger um, generation is is not really as commission focused? They're more about, you know, oh we should be talking to them more about helping people's lives and things of that nature,
0: Jim? I, yes and no. And I'll tell you why I say that, because one of our rookie advisors we just recognized at our national conference uh, came on board last year, can be considered a millennial, and uh, produced uh, 400 something thousand dollars in his first year. And he's on track to continue to grow and grow and grow. And he has the work ethic, he has the no like trust capability. He immediately took to building that relationship with the bank, the book, everybody else. And he loves the commission business model. So it's not completely gone, all right? It's not completely gone. I do think, though, there are, there are those, and we all know that, that that's out there, and I'm not saying anything against it, where you do have to have a longer transition compensation program to make it work. Maybe it's three years. Maybe it's a salary plus bonus until you can build a book. And I have no problems with that. But you can't just generalize and say that it's gone, because it's not gone. There's people out there that strive to build a business and are competitive and want to make it work.
5: No, and I have to agree, too, because those um, those younger folks, they've got some hefty uh, college loans to be paying off as well. And, when you know, as I said, you know, last week at, at BISA, we talked about internships and college recruitings and CFPS in colleges and different ethnic markets. And that cues up, Scott, to get into the next question about different ways of um, platform programs. I'm sure that's that's a thing. I know that was, you know, 50 percent of my time when I was a program manager at Independence Community Bank was spent recruiting. I did a lot of that because we had a platform program. I had 300 licensed bankers to to potentially pull from. So um, with that, let's um, let's move it over to
4: Scott. Some interesting thoughts in that exchange. And so what Bob is referring to with platform programs, it's one of many ways to home grow talent, right? And home, home growing talent has to be part of the equation. And I think it's becoming more and more important because, Jim, to your point about culture, if you home grow the talent basically they they're already part of the culture and they appreciate it right and and they can once they mature they can also talk to candidates about the culture right so it, it it it's like they're they're part of the team already right so just to backtrack a little bit about the value proposition i mean if you can as an executive in a bank that's recruiting whether you be a sales manager or any other type of executive if you can if you can very clearly and concisely talk about the culture of your organization in a way that differentiates your organization, that's a that's a big plus, right? But I think the other things that need to be communicated clearly to a potential advisor recruit is the in in an ideal situation, right? The the uh, belief in an integrated wealth management program for the financial institution and the support from the CEO on down. In the best case scenarios, you you can say that to to a recruiter. That belief in a truly integrated wealth management offering will enable you to have internal partnerships and cross-departmental relationships and, and opportunity flow, right? So you're getting partnerships in other parts of the organization that are going to refer business your way because there are, as Jim, you and I have talked about in the past, there are internal friendships being developed, right? And the belief by a financial institution that it's our job to serve all of our member needs right our members have a variety of needs but a lot of those needs as it relates to assets are what we'll call wealth management oriented needs and if we don't have an integrated wealth program we can't serve all all of the needs of our of our clients or our members if you're a credit union right so so i think that has to be part of the value proposition discussion so that said let me back well let me go back to the handoff that bob gave me and that is uh, home growing talent as it's harder and harder to recruit existing talent has to be backstopped by home talent. And I think home talent, it's an art, and you can do it in a number of ways. So, uh, Jim, let me get your thoughts on that. And then, Ian, what are your thoughts on home talent, and how do you do that at Hancock Whitney? Uh,
0: first of all, you talked about culture. I will tell you this, too. Um, for most of us here, we're fortunate to work at a good culture-type organization. But even if you don't, you can make your own culture. And I'm fortunate that the bank has that culture. It backs us up. We have an integrated type program. We're going to continue to focus on growth for everything. One of the ways that you could do it is to ensure that you're really good at listening and taking action and providing follow-up with your team. We have advisory councils. I have an open door policy. Somebody could pick up the phone and just call me at any time. And we ensure that we get back to people and follow up on things. You may not always have the answer that people like but making sure that you are having those types of discussions with your advisors goes a long way. Knowing that somebody could talk to the leaders of the organization will help enforce that type of loyalty and that culture that you want to spread and expand upon. Uh, Our organization, as, as we discussed earlier, Scott, is well-integrated. It's not perfect. No company is perfect, but we have a good program in terms of leading with financial planning, have well teams, have some sort of senior investment consultants in those teams. So we have different opportunities for different types of advisors and their background to either work in a financial center or end up working in a well team. So there's different opportunities there and there's a lot of support or program is one of the top priorities of the bank itself for growth over the next five years or goals to double or revenue. In terms of, you know, hiring our own and, and so on, we have a licensed banker program. We have not yet been successful in implementing a clear career path with the licensed bankers. I have done it in a previous life. I'm a big believer in it. I know some of my former advisors used to be licensed bankers. Where we have seen success is in our remote call center or financial solution call center, where we have brought in advisors They have learned the process. They've been trained. They know the products. They have a sales process. It's a life financial planning type opportunity for them to engage their clients with. And from there, they become bench strength for some of the opportunities that we have. So we believe in that. We also have an AFA program, an AFR, associate financial rep, associate financial advisor, depending on whether they're licensed or not. But we like to grow our own. And then we obviously need to have a strong a senior FA to help mentor them along.
4: The career path thing is, is interesting, right? Because it, it works both as a process for developing internal talent, but then inspiring advisors to want to climb that career path. And the way I've been looking at it uh, lately, and this is regardless if you have an LBE program, I, I happen to think an LBA, LBE program is is very valuable if done correctly and a, and a great proving ground ground for future advisors. The visual that I have for good career pathing is, you know, you start with what I call the tip of the spear. So what do you want all your advisors to be when they grow up? Well, that should be represented by what I'll call your wealth advisors, your second story advisors, right? So that's, that should be the perfect scenario. You want everybody to be that person. Now, in the perfect world scenario, you have a set of really good wealth advisors, but then you have a a career path that builds to that wealth advisor and it becomes like a conveyor belt, right? Because you're constantly promoting people up that career path and then backfilling with, with new recruits. And if you get that going efficiently, you're set and you don't have to do too much recruiting because you have that conveyor belt of talent development going on an on- ongoing basis, right? With that tip of the spear at the top. And that has to be by design. You have to have really good people at the top because that's your shining example for everybody else to aspire to. Just wanted to get that out there. Ian, let me pass it to you for thoughts on all that.
1: I just wanted to add to when you're talking about culture, one of the things that we've we just met with a lot of our program managers over the last week or so, one of the things we've really encouraged them to do when they're talking with an advisor meeting in, in person is uh, stage it to where you can have the CFO just walk by and poke their head in the office during the interview. You know, have a one of the bank managers or, or regional vice president send them an email after the interview, because a lot of times these advisors aren't getting that type of treatment with some of the ultra large banks, right? If you've got an advisor that's coming from a, 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 let's say a bank with with thousands of advisors, and, and he's looking at at one with maybe ten advisors, obviously that's going to be a big uh, big difference for him, right? But for him to be able to go home to uh, to his spouse or significant other and say, hey, listen, the, the interview went great, and I got to meet the CFO today. I mean, that's that's outstanding, and so. Again, it, it's just kind of building that that value proposition around the culture and just letting an advisor know that, you know, when you're considering other options, maybe not on the scale that they're at now, there are some huge benefits as far as the exposure that they get. As far as the LBE programs, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great tool. Uh, we've got some programs that are really using that, uh, really leveraging that. And I think by having that career pathing uh, laid out uh, when designing that it, it is key. Yeah, I love recruiting advisors that were uh, LBs in the past because they bring a lot to the table.
4: So you said some things that were really clever, creative, and important. Jim and Bob have had, heard me talk about differentiation, and you just gave our listeners some ideas for differentiating the interview process, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, differentiation, standing out from the crowd only takes being about 10% different than anybody else. That's it, and you stand out, right? So mm-hmm. a couple of simple things like having the CEO or CFO or whatever, or CEO pop their head in the meeting right that's really not that hard in a smaller institution especially but that's the 10% difference that makes that gives a, a wow reaction right and 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 that person Absolutely. might be likely to go home and tell their spouse about it so it's just little things like that that you can do just a little bit differently in the interview process process that makes a big difference and sets you up for a win so i love that stuff
5: i was a branch manager of a bunch of branches in my early career and the top financial advisors in just about every branch that I worked in, were from LBE programs. I, I can't say enough about how well that worked. And one of the banks was Dime Savings Bank, which I'm, you know, is gone for over 20 years. But we had a um, uh, a really robust platform program, and it really did feed into the FAs that were in that program. But I've also over the last um, six years been involved in the Rising Stars Mentorship Program for BISA. And one of the mentees, the first mentee I had, an assistant, a, a sales assistant, I'll mention the bank, it was Webster, because John O'Leary has done an amazing job of tiering. And it goes right straight through to second story. And this mentee started as an assistant in the Rising Stars program, became a financial advisor, now is a vice president, and she still has a ways to go. She can. She's now in the Future Leaders program that supports BISA. So advisor tiering as both a career path and as a conveyor belt to, you know, to launch folks into those higher levels of wealth management is definitely a thing. And i will get off the soapbox and just ask Ian, you know, what he thinks about having those just different layers. And even before an assistant, think of it, LBE, to assistant, to advisor, and write up the food chain.
1: Absolutely, and and that's uh, that's a big thing we we really discuss with with advisors as well. The opportunity for uh, you know, and especially like maybe an advisor that's coming from an independent space or more of a a, a warehouse, if you will, articulating what a second story advisor looks like for them, uh, allowing them to to you know bring on junior advisors, things like that. So yeah, when we talk to an advisor, um, you know, that's got some tenure, that has got a big book of business, that's looking to move over, uh, we really make it a point to lay it out to them on what the options would look like down the road. Hey, if, if, if you're thinking of uh, maybe stepping aside or stepping out of the branches, we can still accommodate you. Then you can still leverage that office space. We can bring on a junior advisor. Hey, guess what? We've got succession planning. We can talk to you down the road as well. So I think by laying those, those steps out, um, again, it seems like table stakes, but there's so many people that aren't actually laying that out. Uh, to an advisor when they're, when they're looking at um, uh, interviewing a, a, a potential candidate, but actually laying that out and, and letting them visualize what that looks like has been really beneficial in a lot of our conversations.
5: Right, now, there's an opening there for succession planning, but I'm gonna not going to step on Scott's question. We'll get to that shortly. <laughs> Let me ask Jim for some comments about tiering before we get into succession planning.
0: So, uh, Ian, you, you hit a right, at, right on the nose. I mean, it is so important to make sure that uh, you build the right career pathing for all these different job families and the loyalty that you build from it is, is key. We started a senior financial advisor program back in 2017. And the reason being, we had some financial advisors that were working in, in the branches that were really doing tremendous amount of work, but we're not uh, working closely with the well teams, and it required a handoff type situation, which we all know is not the most, um, it's not gonna happen unless you do it for the right reasons. And so with that in mind, we wanted to make sure that these top producers who are doing very well have that ability if they meet certain criteria. So we looked at them and we, did, we made a determination. If you hit certain thresholds in financial plans in terms of managed money, in terms of life insurance, um, you're becoming a relationship advisor, more of a trusted advisor. And if you had the right tenure as well as the right numbers to back that, you became a senior financial advisor where you could work with both the branch as well as with the well teams. We already had people dedicated to well teams called senior investment consultants. So, our goal in doing that was to help people have a career path in, beyond just a financial advisor, because you can only have so many people on well teams. We have six well teams. And you can't have, you know, 20 uh, senior investment consultants, but you want to make sure that you have career pathing. So these individuals ended up becoming some of our top producers along with the senior investment consultants. So we're really proud to see that growth. Every year, there's been more people that have hit the hallmarks, the thresholds to get elevated into that role. People strive for that. So it's not just the folks that are at the licensed banker situation or the assistant situation that could have career pathing because you want to retain your top people. We talked about it earlier. If you lose your top people, it's going to take a long time to replace that individual. So you want to give career pathing growth for everybody. But we believe in that conveyor belt process. We think that there's opportunity. And that's why we look at folks both licensed and non-licensed because we'll license you if you have that ability to learn, and to grow, and to build a business, and to work with us, then we're we're going to work with you and invest in you.
5: In terms of that whole conveyor belt, do you include deferred comp and stock options in any of your plans to hold on to these financial advisors, Ian? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We sure do. Jim? And and I'll just add, too, it's so exciting to actually be having the the conversations or hearing that word of succession planning in our space, right? It's growing more and more this is something that, that wasn't necessarily talked about quite as much 5 10 12 years ago and now it seems to be coming up in a lot of conversations and really um i've talked to, to more people that are, are coming from an independent spot about succession planning in a bank than i have bankers succession planning uh and looking to move to another bank so it's really exciting that that's uh, that's really getting the, the legs and growth that that, uh, that, that it has now
5: well, as we said, succession planning's getting uh, getting some more play as they as the financial advisor population is graying, and with that, from one graying podcaster to another, huh, huh, let's get on with it, Scott.
4: Yes, if, if we were releasing the video of this podcast, you would you would see how accurate Bob's uh, comment is because I think I'm the grayest <laughs> of all of us. Although Ian, I don't know, you don't have any hair, so <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one other thing i'm going to throw in there because all this talk about career pathing it makes me think of my daughter so she just graduated boston university's business school and she's interested in our industry and so she is actually interviewing for a, a number of positions in our industry including uh becoming a financial advisor and and she's actually interviewing with ameriprise you should you should know that um so as of right now, she's interested in living in Boston, but who knows, maybe she, she would like New Orleans. So Jim, if you're, you know, if you're looking to recruit some rookies, my, my daughter's available. First time I've used this podcast to promote like a family member to get a job. <laughs> so succession planning, we'll make this a quick question. Um, you know, the question is, are you using succession planning for home-growing talent? And the, 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 the meaning of that question is, if you think of that conveyor belt we talked about, you'll have a point at which... You have a branch-based advisor that should be moving up the ranks to be that wealth advisor that's not based in the branch, what we're calling a second-story advisor in our industry, right? And that, that person in the ideal situation is a good mentor to a person right beneath him or her that is ready to move up. One of the nice things about these wealth managers, if they're really good, is they have a smaller book of business, but they're making a lot of money, right? And they're a good example for an advisor that wants to move out of the branches and doesn't want to necessarily have 700 clients, would rather have 200 and be making more money and having a better lifestyle. It's a good mentoring opportunity. So do you guys see that happening out there? Jim, is that happening at Hancock Whitney? And Ian, is that happening at some of the institutions you're working with? So Jim, why don't you go first?
0: Yeah, it will be happening. Uh, It hasn't happened yet. But for all the reasons that you mentioned, it will be part of our business plan going forward. We just have to make sure that we get a few more I's dotted and, and uh, T's crossed. But more importantly, not only for retention of our advisors and uh, growing our talent, is the client experience. You know, Having a senior advisor hand off their top clients in one way or another or segment their book to another advisor, the client experience just explodes. If it's a an advisor that has too big of a book, like you mentioned, I think you said someone who has several hundred clients and may want to focus on only a couple hundred, imagine those clients that haven't been spoken to for a long time now. There's probably some opportunity there to work with these customers. They just haven't heard from their advisor for a while. And it's right. part of the problem that we have as a business. We haven't successfully done client segmentation across the board. So that's one thing. The second part is when you have a retiring financial advisor, you want to make sure that you hand that off to a really good successor, someone that's going to take care of that client just like the top producer did. So the client experience comes first and foremost beyond anything else. And we feel that is the reason for doing these types of programs.
4: And that's a really good point. I mean, the client experience is is probably your only opportunity to really differentiate your program, right? And so it's, it's the right thing to focus on. All right, Bob, why don't we go to our lightning round question so we can keep us on time here?
5: Absolutely. And this is a quick and easy one. You know, at this time of the uh, podcast, we like to have a little fun. So totally unrelated to anything we're talking about. Jim, what's your Uber rating?
0: Well, I like to round up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no.
5: No, 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 no,
0: no. 4.86. Oh,
4: nice. 4.86. All right.
1: Damn. uh, I'm not making this up. It's 4.88
4: whoa well you got edged out fuji
2: all right
4: and and scott uh i'm not making this up Uh, (laughs)
0: 4.92
5: and i'm not making mine up either because i'm going to show it to you it is 4.88 again as well (laughs)
4: 4.88 so you're tied with uh, you so, Fuj, what the hell? You lost.
0: 4.86. I mean, it's probably not the only thing I lose at. But in my defense, I've been using Uber for many, many, many years. And I think the first few experiences were horrible and uh, the feedback went both ways. So now, oh, okay. so now if you only look at it the last couple of years, I think you'll see a much higher score.
4: <laughs> All right, we'll, yeah, we'll we should, should reset yeah, sure every would. year.
0: I, I like that idea. We should shouldn't be held to those early days. Because
5: I've been using Uber for probably eight years at least.
4: I have a niece that's not allowed to use Uber. They've they've like banned her. Never have found out why. And she tells her parents it's a oh, mistake. Wow. I don't think I'm believing that, but it is what it is. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, I, th- I think we're uh, we're ready to wrap up. And you guys, thank you very much for all of your uh, your insights, your thoughts, your participation. Really good discussion and a fun discussion. So much much appreciated, Bob. Let me pass it to you for a final wrap up thoughts and comments.
5: Absolutely, and thanks again to our panel. And um, you know, at this time I always give the top three takeaways. And uh, real quickly, number one was a bad hire can take up to three years to solve. It's worth the no hire. That's number one. Number two, I think I said this, so I'm I'm throwing it in there. I heard the number 500,000 independent insurance agents are available. Let's look at them as a pool to hire from. And number three, use a combination of um, the bank culture and people first and incorporating the bank value proposition. You know, it's not friends, family, and a phone book when you're working in a bank program. So, you know, those are my top three takeaways. I think another takeaway is I'm going to call this part one of the podcast because I think we have enough talk about where there could be a part two of recruiting. So um, thank you, Jeff Hartney and the BISA, and thank you to Ameriprise, of course, for their continuing sponsorship of this podcast series. Don't forget the two other podcast series focused on our industry, which are Untangling FinTech and Industry Success and Leadership. These can be found wherever you get your other podcasts and music, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you name it. So now it's time to say goodbye and we hope you enjoyed the show. So it's time to say goodbye, Scott.
4: Goodbye, Scott. (laughs) Have a happy day, everybody. Bye, everybody.
2: Thank you again. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.